Welcome to the Harrison Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brian Herring. It's our prayer. This message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Good morning, church. Anybody excited to be here? All right. I am nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. I don't know why. I always get nervous when I preach, but today, today's worse, and uh, I'm going to be a bubbling idiot. I can just feel the presence of God so strong, and if you can't, I'm sorry. Um, I would like to say this. I wanted to um, commend the church. I want to lift you guys up and just say I am proud to be a part of Heirs of Faith. Um, I've been through two big events with this church. One of them was when Pastor Thrasher left. And if you've ever been in church very long, you know that sometimes when the lead pastor leaves, half the church leaves with it. That didn't happen here. And then we went through another extravagant event just a few weeks ago. A great opportunity for half the church to leave, and that didn't happen. That speaks something to your spiritual maturity that we don't follow man. We follow God. We are Harrison Faith. No one leader is Harrison Faith. We make up the church, and God is our only leader, regardless of who stands up here. People will bring us the word, and they'll preach to you and different things, and we've talked about this, about how people will fail you, but I just really felt led this morning to commend the church. I am impressed with your resilience and your fortitude to stand strong and to push on. We're going to make it through this. We're going to be better. We're going to be stronger. And, you know, we've been talking for months about God has a revival for us, and he does, but it starts with you. It starts with me. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today because the title of my sermon this morning is Victory Through Sacrifice. And, you know, uh, Sister Nicole, she talked about uh, fasting, and, and Brian even mentioned it again. I hate fasting. And... Y'all can ridicule the Daniel fast all you want. I passed out from doing the Daniel fast, so that's a sacrifice. <laughs> Only time in my life I've ever passed out was from the Daniel fast. I mean, I, was like, I never do fast. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm so, sure some of you are much more holy than me, but I don't do fasting hardly ever. And this one year, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the Daniel fast. And if you know me, I am a carnivore. I eat meat, meat only, could care less if I ever have a vegetable or anything else. And, well, I like potato chips and all that stuff that's bad for you, but I don't do vegetables. And then my wife starts telling me, well, you can eat this. I'm like, I don't like that. She's like, well, you can eat this, this. Have you ever ate those corn tortillas? It's like eating dirt. <laughs> my wife's like, these are so good. I'm like, No. There is nothing, I'd rather just go out there and lick the ground, and I'm sure it would taste about the same as that corn tortilla shell. So I'm like, no, I told God I was going to do this, I'm going to do this Daniel fast, and I don't know, you'll have to ask her, I was about three, four, maybe, I don't know, maybe five days, I don't know, I didn't make it very long, and uh, I'm a very strategic eater, I like to eat five, six meals a day, small meals, and they have to be certain foods and whatever, and um so anyways, I'm getting up out, I don't remember if I was getting in the bed or out of the bed, but the next thing I know, I fell into the nightstand and I'm out. 
and I kind of like crumple, and my, Kim's like, I don't know, if I remember right, she didn't even look out of the bathroom door. She was like, you okay? <laughs> sure, no problem. And, uh, of course, I had a big old cut up the back of my back where I fell into the nightstand. I was like, so you can say what you want about the Daniel Fast. For some of us, it's brutal. Now, for you people who like all that trash, probably not a sacrifice for you. Um, I can't eat that stuff. I need my meat and my potato chips, and I am fine. Uh, so, but to speak to that, and I know any kind of sacrifice you make for God, whatever you fast, God knows. And I'm with you, Nicole. I came from old school where you fast everything. I didn't do that either. God bless you. Uh, my dad was always good about doing that. I am terrible at fasting, but I do believe God honors whatever sacrifice we offer up to him when it truly is something that comes from your heart, that you're laying down something, whether it be food, whether it be TV, whatever, whatever it is that drives you, something that gives you lots of passion and stuff, and you lay it down for God, and you say, you know what, God, I'm going to focus on you for this day or this week or whatever that time will be. God's going to honor that. And just for the record, Sister Pat, my time doesn't start until I start reading my scripture. So we're not started preaching yet. Um, somebody told me this morning as they were speaking, they saw the headset, and they said, uh, so you're preaching this morning? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, it would have been a good week to skip. So for all you people that did, you nailed it. It was a good week to skip, church. So uh, it's all good. But, and, and that's not what they meant by it. They were just being funny. And anyways, I just thought it was too good to share. So we're talking about victory through sacrifice. And um, I have a quote here. It says, sacrifice. If you want something you've never had, you must be willing to do something you've never done. If you want revival, you're probably going to have to do something that you've never done. God's going to push you outside your comfort zone. He's going to push you to do something maybe that you have never done before. He may ask you to give up something that you have never given up before. But we say we want things from God, and I'm as guilty as anyone. So when I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. We're all guilty about saying we want something from God, but then we don't want to give up anything to see a move of God. And I want to say this right now. We're going to have a move today. Altar workers, we're going to have an altar call here in a little bit. As soon as I ask you to come, please come. Don't hesitate. Jump up. Move up here and come. Because there's some people in this house who need victory today. And my wife, if you will come up here, please. And I didn't prepare her for this. Come on. I need you to hustle because Sister Pat's getting ready to start timing me. And Ethan's going to be doing this back there, and I can't do that. I want everybody to do a favor for me. I'm asking you as the leadership this morning, I want you to take your watch off. And I want you to put it in your purse or give it to your wife. Take your phone, unless you're using it for your Bible, and put it in your purse or give it to your wife. Thank you. That's all I need. I just wanted to show her off. Don't she look pretty? She hates it when I call her out. But if you can do that for me, and what I'm asking you to do, I'm asking you today, we want to forget about time for a moment. We're going to talk about sacrificing some of your Sunday, maybe. This church service may not be over at 11. That's okay. Right? I mean, do we not have a little more time for God? So the reason I'm asking you to take off your watch and to put away your phone, because mine's a distraction. Mine buzzes every time there's an Instagram post, every time there's a Facebook post, every time I get a text. I mean, it is buzz, 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 and drives me crazy. So today I'm asking you to put away all these distractions so we can focus on God. Now my sermon, I want you to focus on the move that's going to come after the sermon. Because you need to begin to prepare your hearts. And if you're that person, you're like, God, I need a victory. 
I need you to move in my heart. I need you to move in my life. Then this is services for you. This is for you. But you have to move and you have to come. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 37 and 38. That's where we're going to start. And it says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Notice here that Elijah cried out, said, Hear me. So when you get ready to come and pray today and you're asking for... For victory, I want you to ask God to hear you, to hear the cries of your heart. And it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. So I want to give you just a little bit of backstory. And speaking of backs, mine does not hurt today, so there is no way I'm standing still today. So don't expect me to be up here much. Uh, but Ahab was an evil king, and you need to just go read uh, this chapter, read it all the way through 1 Kings 18, start at verse 1 and go through, I would tell you to go through uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 and just read the whole story. It's an amazing story. But Ahab was an evil king who married an even more evil wife called Jezebel. Anybody in the house? Do, no, I'm just kidding. Don't answer that. Um, but through this period of time, is once again, it was a king who had turned their back on God and they tore down the, the altars of God and they moved in these false idols called Baal, and there was lots of different idols throughout the Bible time that they faced and or that they tried to worship and, and to praise. And, you know, Jezebel was such an evil queen that she even murdered the prophets of God. She began to kill people that began to face persecution. And if you go read that chapter, you'll see where this uh, one prophet had taken, you know, 50 over here and hit him over there and 50 over there. So Elijah's in a phase where he really feels alone. He feels like he is the only prophet left for God and that he is facing this all on his own, and he's wanting to bring the people back to God. And during this time, there was also a drought. There was a massive drought for three and a half years. The king thought Elijah had caused this. Elijah didn't do anything. God said, hey, Elijah, tell the king this is going to happen. God did the drought. So everything's dying. People are without water. People are probably starving to death because they haven't had crops and different things. So there's a lot of pressure and things going on in this country and during this time. So in verse 8, Elijah tells Obadiah, Obadiah was one of the guys that hid some of the prophets, and he come down, and he sees Elijah, and he's like freaked out. He's like, oh no, because Elijah says, go back and tell Ahab to come and find me. Well, Ahab's already been looking for Elijah, and he can't find him. So he's like, if I go back and I tell Ahab that you're here, and we come back, he's going to kill me when you're not here. But Elijah says, go and tell Ahab that Elijah is here, and it's time for a showdown. Yeah, guys, it is time for a showdown. When the devil's fighting you in your life, sometimes you just got to stand up and say, well, you know what? Bring it on, sucker. I know the God who reigns. Maybe it doesn't appear. Maybe things aren't going the way I think they should. Maybe life isn't going the way I think it should be. God's still on the throne whether you're suffering or not. This is this temporal. The things that we face in this body, the things that we deal with is temporal and will be short-lived. So Obadiah goes and tells Ahab, and Ahab comes to meet Elijah, and he greets him with this phrase, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? So this is my first point. When you're doing things for God, people may accuse you of being the problem. Here Elijah's doing what he thought was right. Actually, he was doing what he knew was right. Ahab's accusing him of the drought. 
I bet there was even some people of Israel who hated to see Elijah because it's like, it's your fault. You said this was going to happen. You're the ones we don't have, reason we don't have crops. You're the one the reason the cattle died. You're the one that done these things. It's all your fault. Can you imagine the pressure of that, a whole nation possibly looking at you? And then we have our own self-doubt that we inflict on ourselves about how I'm not good enough. I don't speak eloquent enough, you know, like Moses said, or the different ones in the Bible. David, I'm just a shepherd. We always had our excuses. Gideon, he was like, I'm just the least of my community. We always have our excuses. But isn't it amazing how God chooses the least to do the greatest? So sometimes maybe when you're thinking that you're the least, that you should realize that God has called you to be the greatest in whatever he's called you to do. And maybe it's one. We get caught up in wanting thousands or hundreds. Well, I don't want thousands. I get freaked out preaching in front of just you guys. But some people think we've got to have this crowd, we've got to have this. But if you can help change one person's life, is it not enough? Is it not sufficient? So God has great plans for you, and the easiest way to discourage you is to have someone plan a seed of doubt. So you've got something that you want to do for God, and you've got a vision, and you feel like God's laid it on your heart, and the first thing says, trust me. It should be a sign that God does have something for you to do because the first thing the devil's going to do is not want you to do it. And I, I, sometimes I have people ask me, they're like, how do you know when God tells you to do something? I don't know. I know. I'm supposed to be holy. And I, oh, yes, God, I hear you. I should go do that. I don't always feel like I know I hear God's voice. Sometimes you just know to know. But let me ask you this. If you're doing something good, because God's not going to ask you to do anything evil. So these people that go out and kill people and say, God told me so. that The devil told him so. It wasn't God. So God's not going to ask you to do something evil. But if you go to do something good, what if it wasn't from God? Who cares? You still did something good. You did something right. If I go to give to the poor and I didn't have God speak to me verbally, did I hurt anything? So sometimes I think we get too caught up in did God tell me to do that? Go do something for God. Be willing to make a mistake. Be willing to try to do something trying versus not doing anything at all. Because we quote this scripture all the time. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God has plans to give you hope in a future. You are never going to go wrong by trying to do something good. Whether God spoke to you verbally. And there's going to be times God said, I said to have a meeting for hope in August. God will honor that, and you'll get to do that. But sometimes we have to take that step and have to take that risk of failing and maybe being a little bit embarrassed because sometimes God asks you to do something that doesn't just feel normal. Like, this ain't normal for me. Like, my dad used to tell me, you're going to be a preacher. And I was like, you're out of your ever-loving mind. I am not going to be a preacher. I've seen how people treat preachers. They're nasty to them, and no, too much work. And preaching God's word, that's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. But it may have seemed bleak for Elijah. He'd been hiding for years. He watched other believers be killed for their beliefs. We may not, we may not experience things quite that so drastic, but do you know that in other countries there are people being killed for their beliefs? We take that for granted sometimes. I tell you what, with the way our nation's going right now, you should be a little bit nervous. When our government's telling you you've got to have something before you can do X, if you don't think that is setting up the steps and the process for the Antichrist, you've got your head buried in the sand. 
Because when the mark of the beast comes, you're going to take a mark or you're not going to buy, sell, or trade. This is the first step. I don't care if you get vaxxed or don't get vaxxed. I don't give a hoot. Make your own decision on that. But I'm telling you, when they start asking for proof of things to buy and sell and do things, you better be worried. You better be praying and saying, God, come quickly. I want out of this mess before all that other mess starts happening. That's probably not popular if you don't like it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not the pastor. <laughs> Church, we're going to face things. And man, I'm, I'm tired of messing around. We want to hide. Elijah went out and hid for three and a half years because God called, maybe God told him to. I don't know. But man, it's time we quit hiding and we stand up for what we believe in and we start to do things for God and say, you know what? If I fail, I'll get up and I'll go again. If I fail, I'll get up and go again. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths. If we will begin to seek God and look for his path and his way versus looking for our path and our way. You know, the thing that consumes my mind a lot right now, I want to retire. I am sick of working at FedEx. FedEx is a great company. It's been great for my family. I just want to do something besides go to work 8 to 5 every day, or 7 to 5. I'm tired of it. But what if I put as much focus on the things of God versus my retirement? You know? What if I focused on those things and moving forward the gospel and telling people about Christ? So they went up to Mount Carmel for the showdown. Today they were going to find out who the real God is, and Elijah addresses the people. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? He's telling them to quit being wishy-washy. Because what does God say? What does his word say about it when you won't choose one side or the other? He says, You're lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth. I'd rather you be cold or hot. You know, when we're... In that lukewarm phase, God's saying, and I can remember this as a teenager, because I lived in the hell damnation. If you looked at somebody cross-eyed, you were bound for hell, and there was no such thing as mercy and grace. And, and You think I'm joking. I'm not. This is what I grew up in. And I got to the point, I said, you know what? <laughs> I can't live a Christian life. I fail so many different times. And I'm like, what's the point? I might as well go be a heathen. But see what the devil did? He told me I wasn't good enough. He told me I wasn't capable. And there was no reason trying. I might as well go be a heathen. And that's when my life really took a dark turn. And I went to a very, very, very dark place because I said, what's the point? I'm going to hell anyway, so I might as well do what I want. And that was the mindset I had. And sometimes we get in those places when we're in such a dark place and you get, we let the devil feed all these thoughts into our minds. And I look back now and I, why, why would I do that? Why would I allow the devil to feed these thoughts of mine? But I was a weak Christian because I was a surface Christian. You know, I would come up here and I'd cry and bubble around and, and snot. I mean, stringing out your nose. And we don't do that much anymore because, God forbid, we spend some time in the altars. But I had no spiritual depth. I was just a surface Christian. So when the devil really hit me hard, I didn't know how to stand for him. And I just gave it up. I threw up my hands and said, I quit. There's a lie of the devil. Second thing, there's going to be times that you feel alone. There's going to be times you feel like no one's with you. 
Brock, I saw you this morning. Watch you come in here week after week. Nobody forcing you. Nobody making you. You're a good-looking young man. There's a lot of things you could be doing besides coming to the house of God. But I want you to know there's going to be times that you're going to feel alone. And I want you to remember these words. God's got a plan and a future for you. He has something in store for you. And it kind of reminds me of where you at, Zach? Where are you hiding at? Man, he's back there in the back, heathen. I remember when Zach, you first came to church here, he would sit right up in this area. He was like you, there was nobody making him come. He came all alone, and he sat there by himself. And I kept telling myself, I was like, I need to connect with that young man. I never did, <laughs> till later. <laughs> I didn't do what God was telling me to do, but somebody did. And here's what I want you to know. He still serves God today. He's got a beautiful Christian wife. And he's got a handsome young man that hopefully will look like Emily and not him. Not too feminine. We wanted to be a manly Emily. Um, but I want you to know, God's got a Christian woman for you. You seek her. Because if I look like you, I'd probably be seeking other people, other women. I'm sure they're knocking on your door. But when you feel alone, I want you to know whether it be Brock or anyone else, when you feel alone, you're never alone. God's always with you. But the problem is we don't reach out to him. We start having our pity parties and, oh, poor me, I'm all alone. I can't do this, I can't do that. I mean, Elijah did this. So there's opportunity for the children of Israel to stand up and they stood there and they said nothing. Because it said in the last part of that scripture, but the people answered him not a word. I think all Elijah was looking for was just a little support. Just somebody to say, you know what, you're going in the right direction. We're behind you, Elijah. Let's do this. Let's show them who God really is today. And the people just stood there and looked at him. We're not talking about a few people. I mean, when these people came out, it was like, I don't know, like a concert. They didn't have anything else to do in life but plow the fields. So if there was something big going on, they left what they were doing and they went. So when you visualize this, you have to visualize the prophets of Baal, 450 of them coming out there to do their thing, and then all the children of Israel. There was probably thousands of people there. He's looking for one supporter to say, I'm going the right way, not a word. Mature Christians, it is our responsibility to help the immature Christians and support them when they have a vision and a dream. It might cost you something. You might have to sacrifice some time. You might have to sacrifice some effort on your own to support someone else's vision. That's why we're a family. That's why we bind together. You might have to give up a few things to go and help someone else who has a vision. Dolora, I will help you. I already told you I would. She's going to need help with this event. You're like, well, I don't know what to do. Ask her. Trust me, if there's anyone who can assign jobs, she can. She don't care to delegate. You need a wedding and want somebody to put people in order, just call her. When it's time for pictures, you're doing pictures. So Elijah lays out the instructions to build their altars and choose their sacrifice, but they are not allowed to start it with fire. This way, whatever God answers by fire would prove that they are God. The people agreed to this. The prophets of Baal build their altar and begin to call out to their God. Nothing happens. They're dancing, yelling, cutting, yelling some more. They do this all morning, all afternoon. They're slashing their cells. They're 
I don't know. I visualize the old Indian chants, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're doing. Anyways, you want to help me? No, I'm just kidding. And so they're dancing around, acting like fools. And this is one thing I do like about God. Elijah didn't have to dance around and act like a fool. All he did was say some words, but we'll get there in a minute. So in the middle, my favorite part, because I'm kind of a sarcastic guy sometimes, and I've been trying to do better with this, but I fail miserably. He began to mock them. And to me, that would be kind of fun, just to, they're dancing around, they're slashing themselves like, you idiots, maybe he's asleep. Maybe you should yell louder, so they're yelling louder. I mean, you got to visualize this, 450 people running around, slashing themselves and yelling, one old crazy-looking old man in his old robe and probably his long, fuzzy beard. And I mean, he probably didn't look like, oh, holy, you know, like we think people should look. Like this morning, I even asked my wife, I was like, what shirt did I preach in last time? Because I don't remember, because I was afraid I'd wear the same shirt twice. <laughs> and then he's like, this is for all you men. Elijah was like, maybe he's relieving himself. Scripture, I thought, bring it to a man to make that type comment, because that's not like something I would say. But Elijah's making fun of them, and, and nothing's happening. So Elijah says, all right, stop the nonsense. My turn. This is where you should start to get a little bit excited. Because Elijah took the 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with the water. Worship team, if you would come back. And Morgan, if you would just start to play. So he filled the trench with water. So when he rebuilt the altar, he used 12 stones, which rep represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And what this made me think of is sometimes when you're at the altar... Maybe those stones represent a lost loved one, someone who's sick, someone who's discouraged. Because, see, the 12 stones had a, a, a representation of all of Israel. He chose 12 stones for a reason. And I can't tell you the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, but he wanted to make sure that the entire nation of Israel was covered in this sacrifice. So he used a stone for each altar, and he said, here's for the tribe of Benjamin, here's for the tribe of Judah, here's for the tribe of whoever, and I could just see maybe, now I'm just making this up, this is from the first book of Clint, but I can just kind of visualize in my mind as Elijah takes these stones, and he's probably praying under his breath, and he's laying down this stone, he's like, this is for the tribe of Judah, this is for the tribe of Elijah, or not Elijah, Benjamin, and maybe whatever the other tribes are. So maybe when you come to the altar, you may be coming up here and you're crying out to God. You're saying, God, hear my cry. Hear my cry. And you may lay it down on this altar and you may say, this is for my lost spouse. This is for my family member that has cancer. This is for this struggle that I have in my life. This is the struggle. Do you know it's okay to pray for the struggles in your life? You don't always have to pray for everyone else's struggles because sometimes... People, well, we as a church have got to get beyond the point that I am not worthy. We have got to get out of that mindset and say, through, the, through Christ, I'm worthy. 
I'm worthy. I'm not saying that we exhort ourselves and we become arrogant and we become this and that. We always stay humble before God. But why do we always let the devil rain on our parade and tell us that we're not good enough to do something? We are good enough. God chose you to do whatever he's calling you to do, which says you are good enough. To sit there and let the devil play in your mind and say you are not good enough is saying that God's not good enough. You going to allow someone to speak to you about your God like that? He created the entire universe. He created you for a specific purpose on this earth. And sometimes we will sit back and say, well, because I don't lead this ministry or, or I'm not Pastor Caleb and I'm not Sister Moore. I'm not Brother Ryan. He does this and he does that. We look at everybody else and we think they're so talented. I'm telling you, God has given you a talent that he wants you to use for him. But don't let the devil have a playground in your mind telling you that you're not good enough. So after building the altar, he poured water over the sacrifice. He wanted to remove any doubts that it was not a true act of God. There was no, he took some shavings and put some pyrite in there and he threw a spark and all of a sudden it sparked. He's like, I'm going to drench this sucker in water. That way all these people standing out there can't start making excuses. How many times when God does something in your life do you begin to talk yourself out of it being a move of God? I wanted to, this wasn't in my notes. There's one time, Caden, she was about two years old. We wake up in the middle of the night and she is screaming ballistically. I've told this story before, so if you've heard it before, I apologize. No, I don't. It's worth repeating. She is screaming nuts. I'm freaking out. My wife's freaking out. I'm like, whoa, something's bad here. She is hurting. So I call the most holy person I know, which is my mama. I tell my mom, I like, I need you to pray. Something's wrong with our daughter. We don't know what's wrong with her. And we don't want to be weak Christians. I'm like, Mom, should I take her to the hospital? And she's like, absolutely. People, there's times you have to use the hospital. Okay? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging you. Because I'm like, man, I'm taking her. And she's screaming. So we call Kim's mom. We're like, hey, we need you to come over here. You got to watch Kelsey because we got, we got to take Kim to the hospital. Something's wrong with her. We're freaking out. We don't know. We're just young parents. We don't know why she's screaming. And I'm talking like ballistically. You have to imagine two of screaming at the top of their lungs in the middle of the night. So her mom comes over and her dad goes to uh, White Oak and some of you may have never heard of this. It's called a prayer cloth. All it is is a representation of God's spirit. So what they do is they get a little piece of cloth, they anoint it with oil. That's a whole nother sermon. They anoint it with oil and then the church will pray over it. And her dad had had the church pray over it because Man, she, you think she's skinny now. She was skinny as a baby, too. She's a little bitty thing. And he thought she needed to eat more, so he's praying God over her to eat more. But she's kind of like me. She's picky when it comes to food. And um, this was the most amazing thing. It was so awesome. Her mom walks in, and she hands me the prayer cloth. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. we got to get her to the hospital. And Kim's sitting on the couch, and she's rocking her, and she's holding her, doing what a mama does, comforting her child. And I hand her that prayer cloth. I can never tell this story without getting emotional. I'm telling you people, the instant my wife laid that prayer cloth on her shoulder, she quit crying. Instantly. Not 30 seconds later, not slowed down to a blubber. Instantly, quit crying and went back to sleep. 
God never does anything for me in my life again. That's enough. It's all I need to know. He's real. No matter what man says, no matter what doubts the devil puts in my mind, I will never doubt there's God and that he is real and he has a good plan for our life. Now, we took her to the doctor the next day, and he told us that she had a severe inner, inner ear infection. He didn't know why she wasn't in pain. So we put her on antibiotics, and it went away. But the thing is, God touched her instantly. God is still the God of miracles. So the same as Elijah poured that water on the altar to make sure that there was no doubt. They couldn't make excuses. You know, I feel like this is really a time that God proved something in my life. And I'm thankful because it made such a firm foundation in my life that when the devil begins to make you question God and, and you're alone and, and you feel like you're in this dark place and life just isn't going the way you think it should. And there's times our life goes through ebbs and flows, like we're up and we're down. And there's times that life's going good and times it's going through things that are bad. And I can't tell the number of times and when life's not going the way it's supposed to, I'm like, God, I know you're real. I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw you heal her. I know I may not feel you. And it may feel like the road is dark. And it may not feel like things are going the way it's supposed to be. But I know you're real. And I know you're still there. And I know I'm not alone. Whatever it is for you, you've got to find that. And you've got to hang on to it. And you've got to know that God is real. Because when you're trying to do things for God, my third and final point there's going to be people pour water on your wood. Especially young Christians. Old Christians, sometimes we're terrible about this. Man, somebody gets saved and they're all fired up and they want to do something for God and they're like, uh-huh. Been there, done that. Doesn't work. Remember a young man called me one night, middle of the night. He was a Baptist. He was a Baptist who got filled with the Holy Ghost. Which was kind of awesome. You just have to hear him. Calls me about 10 o'clock in the night. He's like, hey, man. What are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm trying to sleep. He's like, I just got filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, that's cool. And he was so excited. And he's telling me all about it and how it happened. And I'll bore, I won't, you know, give you all the details. I'll save you on time. But he was so excited. And he says on the phone, he said, meet me at the hospital. I said, what? He said, meet me at the hospital. I said, what for? He said, let's go heal them all. <laughs> Me and all my holiness. And I'll meet you there. Just kidding. What if I had? What if I had? What if I had said, all right, I'll be there in 30 minutes and we'll see, we'll just see what God does. What would it hurt for let that young man walk through that hospital, walking in people's rooms and saying, get up in the name of Jesus I feel like I failed God I failed him so when God puts something on your heart don't you dare pour water on someone else's dreams if anything you support them say how can I help you how can we make this work just because you're not feeling that spiritual fire at that moment doesn't mean that we should pour water on theirs we have to support them in this, those situations So if you know me, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. But 
he got cut from his high school basketball team, which is hard to believe. But at that decision, he had a, at that time, he had to make a decision to make. Quit or work harder. And I think it's pretty obvious what he decided to do, but there's a quote by him. It says, obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, or work around it. For all you young people, Kobe and LeBron are nothing compared to Michael Jordan. We just got to clear that up. Sorry, Zach. You can pray through here in a minute. Um, But my point is this. We are going to face obstacles in life. You face those at work. You know, and I find at work, you don't have a choice. You find a solution. Whatever it is. And we'll do that at work. You stand to your feet, please. Altar team, come. Come on, altar team, quickly. But when things hit us in life and we, we face challenges and, and we face things in life that we don't know how to deal with and lie to you we're in a we're in an ebb we're not in a flow right now my house but it doesn't change who God is you know sometimes I don't understand it's outside my control I don't know what the solution is but I know God hasn't changed He's enough. Whether I understand it, whether I agree with it, it's just life. I have to remind myself that these bodies are temporal. God created us for fellowship and worship of Him. And He's going to help us get through this life, but we have to reach out to Him and say, sometimes we say, God, hear my cry. Sister Lisa is going to sing that song, Victor's Crown. It's my song. When I hear that song, I can just feel the Spirit of God. And it reminds me that one of these days we are going to wear the ultimate victor's crown. We're going to face some battles down here, but God's going to win the war. Here's the deal. I ask you to put away your phones and your watches because too many times we get in a big rush to go home. I know there's some people in here facing some battles or who need God to move in a situation. Maybe personally for you, maybe for someone else. It doesn't matter. But I know there's a God who can help you win the battle. But see, your sacrifice is going to start with you have to get out of your seat. I don't see anybody in here who is not capable of walking. And you say, well, I just don't do that, Pastor Clint. I'm embarrassed. Why don't you just kick the devil in the teeth for once on this Sunday morning and say, you know what, devil? Today I'm not bashful. 
Because I can promise you there's nobody in this church going to judge you. If anything, we will support you when you come forward for prayer. If you don't have at least three or four people around you praying with you and for you, then shame on us as a church. There should never be anyone come to this altar that they are alone. If anything, you need to look back and say, what has God brought me out of? I need to go pray with them because they are not alone. So church, my altar call is simply this, is if you're in a battle and you don't know what the answer is or someone else you know is in a battle and you want to stand in for them, then there is victory through sacrifice, but the sacrifice comes with you. If Elijah didn't build the altar, there would never have been fire that fell down from heaven and consumed that fire or consumed that altar. But Elijah had to make a sacrifice. He had to go stand out there all alone. Nobody answered when he spoke to them. Nobody stood beside him and he felt like he was all alone. And he built that altar and said, God, yet none no one else will serve you today. I ask you, you have to go read his prayer. I'm not going to give it to you. You go read that in 1 Kings chapter 18. But he makes a little short prayer. He didn't have to dance around. He didn't have to cut himself. He didn't have to act like an idiot. He said, God, hear my cry. He said a few simple words and the fire fell down from heaven and consumed everything. The rocks, the people that it represented, he consumed them with his fire. The water, the doubters, the people who didn't believe in it, the water, the ones that had come and poured the water on it. He said, I will prove to them that I am God. God is dying to prove to you and to this world that he is God, but it is gonna have to start with you and your sacrifice and you stepping outside your comfort zone and saying, God, I may make a mistake, but I'm going forward for you. So it starts with us, church. Come on, if you have a need, you come. Don't hesitate, don't think about it. If you think about it, Wayne, you're not gonna come. You need to just get out of your seat and say, devil, not today. Today is my day and I will have my victory through my sacrifice.